Hello and welcome to episode 95 of Fergo and the Freak. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter at AndrewRLP. And joining me is the glorious League Freak. You can find on Twitter at League Freak. How are you, mate? I'm very good. I've spent two days watching Rugby League Nine's World Cup action at the best stadium I've ever been to and really loved it. Really, really enjoyed it. And one day getting out of the car park. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> it's seriously, it's funny because I tweeted you saying, oh, the Sydney traffic, I don't know when I'll get home. And after sitting in the car park for no less than 50 minutes, where half an hour of it was not moving at all. Like, I don't know what happened at the Parramatta Leagues Club car park, but everyone stopped for half an hour and did nothing. And I was parked up on like level seven. I had to do the whole spiral down it. So, yeah, I was very disappointed with the parking situation. Um, but, yeah, I made it. We we could have actually recorded an episode of the podcast while you're in the, in the car park. That would have been brilliant. Yeah, well, I was actually, I was going to text you and say, dude, I'm going to be late. And then uh, I realized I, ha- I don't have your number in my phone. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I do anyway. But I was going to say more a case of, uh, you know, we're up till bloody late anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, we just fucking podcast whenever, so it works out well. That's right. So anyway, we'll move on to the the bigger story here, and that is the Rugby League World Nines World Cup has just completed. Um, Australia's beat New Zealand in the very predictable final that we everyone expected would happen was Australia play New Zealand in the final because that's how they designed it. Mm -hmm. Um. But the bigger, the bigger surprise was the fact that New Zealand beat Australia in the final in the women's. Yeah, and they, I mean, the Australian women looked absolutely un- unbelievable right up until the final. Yeah, they and, were unstoppable all all game until that final. Yeah, there was actually, they put on what I consider to be the try of the whole two days. There was one play on the first day that they put together, and it was like, it was just crazy. They, were, they spread it along their back line. They went back into the middle of the field. It was great. Um, and you you always knew that the Kiwis were going to turn up for the final in that uh, in the Women's World Cup. But, yeah, it was interesting to see. I mean, they just stuck with it and got a really well-deserved victory. And you could tell the Australian women were really disappointed. Um, and you could tell that they switched straight to looking at that test match that's on next week too. So I'm hoping they'll attend that one as well. So let's see yes. how it goes. And given how the men's final went, it probably would have been better if the men's final had been first because then you could have actually had a genuinely tough final as the last match of the day. Yeah, the, look, the Australian team, the, the men's team, what I saw from them on the second day, it looked like a team that on the first day had a go at nines, and then last and the last night they kind of sat down and said, okay, what did we learn from that? What should we do? And they come out on the second day and were just clinical for the most part. Um, New Zealand did try to go with them in that final, but there were things that I was watching the Kangaroos do. I mean, their game against PNG, they basically refused to allow PNG to touch the ball. Um, they were on their kickoffs. They used every single type of kickoff you could use against PNG. And there were just things that you could see they were thinking a little bit ahead of most of the other teams. There were some teams I felt like in the nines were a little bit clueless. There were other teams that I think took the wrong approach to the nines. There were some teams that were too relaxed going into them. And I think New Zealand, uh, sorry, I think Australia were basically along the lines of you know, they're used to coming into camps. They're used to gelling as teams. They've done it at origin levels. They've done it at test level. A lot of these players have done it at junior rep levels and things like that. So they're used to you sort of meet a bunch of new dudes, yeah, get some training under your belt, and then you gel as a team really quickly. And I think that's a massive advantage that we have in Australia. And, and yeah, you could see uh, I think that they looked like the best coach team as well. I think some of them teams that ran out i mean i think the i don't know who the usa team's coach was but um they weren't prepared for this um i think that england didn't play right for uh and they didn't pick a very good team for it um 
there were just certain teams I was disappointed with and how they approached. I, I think they all went in wanting to win it, but I think some of them had the wrong approach rather than, you know, I think Australia had the right approach. I think New Zealand had the right approach. I think England didn't have the right approach. So I guess that's what I'm trying to say. I think one team who disappointed us more than anyone else, though, is Fiji. Oh, by a long, long way. They were... Um, it was weird. When when they would get into a bit of a flow, they would start doing what you'd expect from Fiji. They'd break the game open. And once they made breaks, it was it. It was like, shut the gate. They were, done. They were over. Um, but they just... Their attention to detail was poor. Yeah, and they just couldn't stay on top after they got a bit of momentum. Mm. They just they just took the foot off as soon as they scored a try, thinking, oh, we've got this now, and then they take the foot off and the opposition just come back. And they're in a pretty tough group too when it comes to the to the shortened version of the game. You know, a bunch of Pacific Islands. Mm-hmm. Just doesn't matter who you are in that group, you can't you can't take your foot off the pedal. And they constantly did that. Um, I I also think the way they were put together as a team, I I think that there's, I remember going into the thing thinking, what type of players would you want to select? And coming out of watching the two days, I could see where if you said to them, look, we're going to play this tournament again next week, but you can choose different players. I would suggest that most teams would choose very, very different teams to what they did. Because I think there's a certain sort of play you want um, for these sorts of games. And I think that Mitchell Moses is a really good example. You know, he's he's not an organiser in the 13 style of the game. But you get him in this style of the game where he, if he gets a half break, he's through. He's got really good pace, really good toe off the mark. And players like him, this style of football is really well suited to them. Another player that was suited to this style of play was... Um, uh, Sam Tompkins, he was fantastic for England. Um, but as you said in leading into this podcast, we had a quick talk about it. James Graham played surprisingly well. For, and it was really him and Tompkins that that stood out for England. Yeah, like we we both thought that, uh, you know, definitely got this one wrong. We both thought that he was a really odd selection for this English side. Turns out everybody else except for him were pretty much the odd selections. Um, he was phenomenal. Uh, but the as, as you were saying before we started, the English outside backs, especially their wingers McGilvery and Hall, um, they were just bad selections. They they could have got a few a few younger wingers to put in there instead. Yeah, what you need, I mean, McGilvery, man, <clears throat> he he's yeah. his wing, his wing play was atrocious it was the worst wing play of anyone in the tournament um and ryan hall wasn't that much better and you know i I understand that these english wingers are used to playing in english conditions where you've got to be you you can't be thrown over the sidelines and it's very easy to be slid over the sideline in england and they score a lot of tries in england but i tell you what i look at their their wingers and i think these dudes need to be 15 kilos lighter and they need to be taught how to play on the wing well one thing we we, was gonna say one thing we did see is why regan grace has taken the english super league you know competition by storm in the last two and a half seasons is um he was the only standout player for wales and he's Mm. lightning fast um and just has that element of x factor about him much like josh adokar does well, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't take much to be like, and I understand all these English wingers, they get tries like ridiculous levels, but I can completely understand how you get a, a winger that's even half decent and they start scoring like 35, 40 tries in a season because the players that they're playing against are complete garbage. Well, this is the thing is I think rigging grace must be to the English Super League season right now. What to uh, to um, Martin Fire was to the English game back in the early nineties. Yeah, <laughs> just pulls apart from everybody else. He's a different build, different mindset. 
completely different style of play and just a genuine X factor in everything he does. You just look I at t- every other wing and just go, <sighs> Well, I tell you what, like, these NRL clubs need to stop looking at any English outside backs. They really do because they're just not they're, – they're terrible. They're really terrible for the most part. And and they really needed to select different players um, because the, the English outside backs didn't worry a single team in this t- competition. And they were the worst ones of, of the – you know – they were just terror. I couldn't believe how bad they were. Um, and, and that was really – there were a few things that stood out. I mean, the the United States team, they were just really bad all round. They weren't ready for this. Um, they weren't prepared for the nines. Um, their tactics were poor. Um, I wonder they, how they would have gone, though, against some of the other teams. Like, if they'd have been up against the likes of, say, Lebanon, France um, – Wales, if that had been in a group like that, would they have appeared to be better? Because mm. they did get, a, I mean, they got put into the worst group they possibly could. Australia, New Zealand, and Papua New Guinea. I mean, yeah, they're just going to smash you. Yeah, that's true. Although there were things that, there was there were like effort plays there was that they weren't good with. And just, the idea of like, I mean, if I was coaching the United States, saying, look, the United States coach might have said this to them. You never know. But I would have just said to them, like, keep it simple. Try and keep as much possession as possible um, and and see what happens from there, you know. They, they were playing a lot of panic football. And I guess the occasion is bigger than any occasion they've been in in rugby league as well. You have to remember that. But I just felt like of all the teams, they seemed the least prepared coming into this tournament. Um, I know that we select, I think we selected them, uh, there were 12 teams. We selected, I think, Wales last, Lebanon second last, and the United States third last going into the competition. I would mm. definitely say the United States were last for sure um, yeah. ahead of Wales. And then and then from there, it's a bit different. <laughs> So we'll have a quick look at the uh, the results then for Pool A. So mm-hmm. Australia opened with a 25-12 win over New Zealand. Um, PNG beat US 27-10. New Zealand beat PNG 18-17. That was an absolute cracker of a game, that one. Mm. Um, then Australia I didn't beat see US. that one, unfortunately. Ah, that was, yeah, that was quite good. It looked like PNG was going to get them, but uh, Kiwis hung on. Uh, Australia yeah. beat... USA 41-11, and then New Zealand beat the USA 46-0. Mm-hmm. And then Australia beat PNG 26-0, which meant Australia and New Zealand went through to the finals. PNG was third. USA was winless. Um, pool B, Lebanon beat France in what was considered, I, I think, a genuine upset. Um, and that would come down to mostly France missing two goals. Mm-hmm. Um, England beat Wales 25-4. France beat Wales 23-6. Then Lebanon beat England 16-13 in possibly the upset of the tournament. I didn't see that one either. I was so upset I didn't see it too. It was... In the end, Lebanon were doing whatever they could to waste a bit of time at the end of the match. and Mm. They they got away with it. Mm. And at, at... one of the game in the end, there was a few cramps and one player was had his arm all over the, the English player's legs and the play the ball and that just stopped play for an extra 20 seconds when there was only about 40 left. Oh, um, so tri- tricky little cutting stuff in the end, but yeah, that was a brute result. But definitely fair to say that Lebanon, along with Italy, better at rugby league than England. Results-wise. Yes. Results-wise. So- well, the the big the, there was a big story which came out of this match, and that was England. I, I believe England put in a bit of a complaint saying that Lebanon had you know illegal players in there, and that was there was two players I think who were under the age of eighteen, mm-hmm. and Lebanon also had one or two players who were injured, and so they went into the last game with I think only just with whoever was left over, and they looked tired. Mm. All they needed to do was beat Wales, who hadn't won a game. 
and Lebanon were going to go through. And they lost to Wales 25-14 in what was the only game where Wales looked like they were a decent side. It's interesting you say that because I didn't know any of that was going on while I was there. And when they were playing Wales, I actually said, man, Lebanon looked really tired. <laughs> yeah, they were. And it was weird because it was a warmish day and it it wasn't the conditions for a Welshman. You know, I mean, it was a, a hot Australian day. The paddock wasn't filled with a bunch of sheep with no one else around seeing what you're doing with these sheep, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Long grass. Yeah. Yeah. Just helping out over the fence. That's all right. Um, there were people watching. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> And then I the last match... really, Look, t- tell me something, right? Just say we took Wales out of that competition and we put in the Penrith District. Tell me we wouldn't have got a better game out of the Penrith District. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look how well Penrith did when we, we were split between Samoa and Tonga. We did well. Yeah. Very well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Drew it Cup represent. Absolutely. Uh the final match of that of the pool B saw England flog France thirty eight to four. Um in Pool C, Cook Islands lapped Tonga thirty to seven. Mm. Uh Samoa beat Fiji thirty two seventeen. Samoa beat the Cook Islands seventeen to four. Tonga then beat Fiji twenty one seventeen. Cook Islands then beat Fiji twelve ten. And Samoa beat Tonga 24-20. Um, yeah, a lot that, of close games that one. It was a very interesting group, but yeah, did yeah, expect but, Fiji to do better. That, uh, that thing about, like, I mean, I, I, I didn't think that Samoa would be all that good at it, and they were. Um, I thought that Tonga might have been able to use their, their depth in the middle of the field. And look, Talmalolo was on. He's he's a superstar. He's on another level to everyone. Um, and so Talmalolo's doing like Superman things on the field, but Samoa just they moved the ball around so well. It was really interesting seeing. I've talked about like Fiji. I think that they just weren't playing right. Um, and the Cook Islands just fantastic. I love the Cook Islands. Every time I think, oh man, let's see how the Cook Islands will go. They go spectacularly well. Yeah, they they look like they were genuinely prepared for this. Yeah. Um, because they were probably the team that was expected to come last in that group and they surprised everyone. They were they were very good. Is there any doubt that they should be it they've gotta be in the World Cup. Like I don't care what the you know, what the the way that they qualify these teams and stuff, there's no way that a team like the Cook Islands can ever miss the World Cup while well, we have these blowing pommy teams in in Ireland and in bloody you know Wales and Scotland where they're full of bloody Englishmen we can't have those teams and not have a team like the Cook Islands yeah the the, the world rankings is a bit weird at the moment um mm. and it, it's kind of it's got Cook Islands at 28th behind the Solomon Islands which Man. And Nui. Um, I I don't know how. Because Cook is, it's the Cook Islands are, are playing games. They may not be playing them extremely often, but they are playing games and they do tend to be winning them. And they're playing against pretty good opposition. They're not going there playing against um Turkey or Vanuatu or things like that. They're playing against the a lot of teams who are above them on the you know, on the world rankings. But the thing is, too, like they played, they played South Africa in the mid-season tests, okay, mm-hmm. and that they absolute. Not only did they absolutely dominate South Africa, um, they looked bigger and stronger and faster and more skillful, and they did exactly what you would want a team like that to do to South Africa. They didn't take their foot off the pedal; they smashed them. And I mean, if you played. Australia versus the Cook Islands next weekend, it wouldn't be an easy game for Australia. No, Australia would win comfortably, but it wouldn't mm. be easy. Like I'd, I'd imagine that Australia would put twice as many points on South Africa as they would on the Cook Islands. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, it's 
I, I just think that we need to make sure that while we set up the World Cup so that we want it to be fair and a fair qualification process, we've got to understand that there are different amounts of strength in different parts of the world and the World Cup needs to cater for that. You know, we can't just say, well, we're splitting the world down the middle here and we're going to make sure half get in from this part and half get in from that part. We can't be doing that because we cannot afford to leave any quality teams out. The Cook Islands are such a quality team. And, like, when it comes to punching above your weight for a nation, forget about it. It's like they are ridiculously... Like, you pound for pound, easily the best rugby league nation. Easily. It's not even close. Yeah, there's, there's what, about 30 people who live there, and they all yeah. play rugby league for Cook Islands. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's, uh, love, love watching them play. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, it, we got to the semifinals. New Zealand beat England 22-6. to six. Australia beat Samoa 25-8. to eight, And then Australia beat New Zealand 24-10 in the final. There was a try in the final two. I think it was Kyle Felt mm-hmm. where looked pretty clear live that he didn't get the ball to the line and then he lost it and they still awarded the try. Now, I, I, when I saw... That in law and look, that was the other opposite end of the stadium for me. That's the first thing I've got to say. I thought he'd lost it first of all, and then I saw the referee gave the try, and I was a bit surprised. And I only saw the replay very quickly for a split second. On the replay, I thought I saw him get there. Are you saying he didn't get there? I'm saying yeah. It looked like from the 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 replay I saw that yeah. the ball was just short of the line, and then he lost it. Okay, all right. Because yeah, I I didn't. I, I didn't only. I've only had. Play. I've only had one look at it though, so I'm, I'll yeah. have to go back and have another gander. Okay. Um. So the the other big incident that went on, I guess, in this uh, in this nines, a sour one, mm-hmm. was between Lebanon and Wales, mm-hmm. where a Lebanon player, I think it was uh, Marbani, got tackled on the ground. He's tackled on his. He's, the ball carrying arm is on the ground. He's lying on top of it, so he's on his side. And he's put his hand up. I, I kind of think that he was probably trying to push away the Welsh player. Mm-hmm. But it also did look like he very clearly and blatantly slapped him in the face. Mm-hmm. Not with much power, mind. Mm-hmm. But then the Welsh player retaliated by just lining up and absolutely crunching him in the side of the head just above the ear with a clenched fist. It was yep. a genuine dog shot. Yeah, and it looked like it, it from a stadium. It was obviously a different angle than the cameras caught. Um, and as soon as I saw that punch go down into his head, I was like, he's gone. <laughs> yeah, it was a genuine dog shot because the the Lebanese player could not defend himself. Mm-hmm. So he was just open to that. Um, some could say that, you know, if you're going to go and slap someone, then, you know, you've got to be prepared to cop something in return. Mm-hmm. But I think that was quite a bit over the top. Um, I so I don't. I think think that Welsh player will be very lucky if all he's got was just a sim bidding there. Uh, mm. I wouldn't be surprised if he has to front a judiciary over that because that was that was bad, especially when you're playing in a a fun sort of tournament like a nines. That sort of crap just it stands out more. Yeah, it does, and and for the most part, the tournament was played in real good spirits. Mm. Um, a lot of the teams. I mean, I, I'm trying to think who it was. There was. I think it was Samara and Tonga. They, after it, they prayed together. There was another couple of teams that did that, and I can't remember who it was. Um, but, yeah, it, it, the the whole day was played in really good spirits. Um, and so, yeah, that did stand out a little bit. thought there was going to be a fight a couple of times in some of the women's matches too, and it settled down pretty quickly. Well, uh, the, the women's games were were amazing. Uh mm. I especially love watching the uh, the Papua New Guinea or- uh, orchids play because man, they hit as hard as the as the Papua New Guinea men do. They really do. They go in one hundred percent. Damn. I I was I actually was uh, speaking to somebody tonight on Twitter, and they were saying how the the women's Australian players have had a little bit of experience in the way that they've been developed. Um, and it's kind of helped them for this this nine style of football. And I, I did get the sense that 
of all of the participating teams, the the team that really nailed how to play nines footy was the Australian women's team. And look, they lost the final. Um, and the Kiwis played great in the final. The, what are they called them? The Lady Ferns, which I don't know about that name. But um, yeah, that, they lost the final and they really deserved to win the final New Zealand. They were fantastic in that game. But the Australian women's team, you could see the way that they were playing was the way that nines was meant to be played. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see how these international teams, if they get to play nines again soonish, like if they get, if there's some sort of mid year tournament or something, it's going to be really interesting to see how they play the style of, of nines and if it'll change much between teams. Cause I think some teams were way better with their style than other teams. Yeah, I must admit, I I expected the the England women to do a bit better. Mm. Um, not that they did badly, but I just I thought they would be in the final. But they had a few games where um, they got completely outclassed. Like when they played Australia, they got mm-hmm. they got lapped forty two to four, um, and then New Zealand went and put thirty on them as well. I I thought the gap between Australia, New Zealand, England would have been really really close. Yeah. But it's sort of like the men's. Australia and New Zealand are just too far ahead of England. And that that surprised me a little bit. I feel as though between the women's origin and, I mean, the women's test matches for years have been really, between Australia and New Zealand, I mean, have been building into, I mean, you watch an Australian, uh, New Zealand, Australia women's test match now. It's a test match. Like, there's nothing that... These they rip in like they yeah. bash each other. They play great footy, and I think that between that, uh, the women's origin matches and the WNRL or the NRLW, I mean, um, I think it's just hardened the women in in Australia, and New Zealand, and it's like they're just used to a, just a completely different level of intensity of competition. And add to that. The England women's team—they've—they just got off the plane, you know. They're having to acclimatise. Um, It's a big—it's a big move for them, you know. So they'll be better for the for the situation and and having to get all of that experience. But I think that they were thrown to the lines a little bit, so to speak. Yeah. So it was. uh, Australia pretty much breezed through to the final. New Zealand. Did too. I mean, you know, they had a, they had quite a few good wins there, but it looked like it was. Given how the results were going, it looked like Australia were going to just romp home in this one. Mm. And in the end, uh, New Zealand won the final seventeen fifteen. It was an absolute cracker of a game. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, a couple of things from the the women's game that got me, and, and just uh, the, over the weekend, uh, Brigginshaw is that her name? Yep, Ali Brigginshaw. She, for me, she is the best uh, overall women's player that I've seen. Her vision is is properly like top level, and her passing game is like, and it's together. She uses her vision and the passing game brilliantly. Like she's a really, really good player. I think she's the best women's player overall. Um, Cassie Apps. I think is the best athlete in terms of she's just big and strong and athletic, you know, and that's not taking anything away from the school side of a game, but uh, like they're just different players. Um, But Brigginshaw, man, uh, she is, she is such a good player. She's such a good all round player too. The good, the good thing that, that stands out for me with Ali Brigginshaw is um, how elusive she's off of, off her first step. Hmm. Well, that first step, she can either just hit hit the hit the gas straight away, or she can put on just a big step one way or the other to either not not necessarily get around a defender, but mm. get outside them. Mm-hmm. And it's just enough to draw another defender across to create that opportunity. Um, I don't want to draw comparisons with you know men players stuff like that. Cause, yeah, but the only player I can I can remember seeing who had that sort of ability off the first step was Brad Fittler. Mm. He's on a different level, though, because 
I know I've said it before. He he could go faster off a step, which most players couldn't do. Yeah. He, he was just an absolute freak off that first step. Um, but she's Ali's got a lot of similarities in that area where that first step helps her set up what she wants to do. And she knows how to use it and when to use it. And that's that's the key to having a good step, I guess. I would love to see a statistic about how what her percentage of long passes that hit the mark were compared to just everyone that played over the two days. Because there were a lot of plays that you saw in the nines that you'd get space, you obviously get overlaps a lot and space out wide. And they'd, they'd get the ball, the players would get the ball out wide, but it'd be just behind a player or it'd be just out in front of them. And it'd just break their momentum of stride enough that the defense had caught up to the, to them. Um, and a lot of the passes she was throwing, they didn't do that. They would just bang right where you run them, right in stride. Don't have to change your line. Don't have to change your gait. And, and her passing game was incredibly accurate. And yeah, and but with it, that vision to know that there's something on out here. I've got to get the ball out here. Um, so impressed. I really, I think that women's rugby league um, in both forms of the game, the full form of the game and, and nines football, I think it is easily the best women's sport you can watch by a mile. Uh, it's not even close. Like, there's some women's sport that you can watch, and it's a real bludger, man. It's hard to watch. But I tell you what, women's rugby league, like, I'm watching these games, and it, they're so exciting. They're so exciting. Like, it, it's great. I, I'm hoping to call some of the games next year. Hey, I just I'm so excited about well, it. It's great. Thing, okay, and this is one thing I've, I've said before um, elsewhere is that is the one thing that makes a women's game stand out is it's what the it, it's what I wish the men's game was in the sense that everyone's playing within the spirit of the game. They're not out there trying to find ways to cheat the system. They're not out there trying to do wrestling holds on the ground. They're not out there slowing down the ruck. The game is played fast. The defences are generally pretty intelligent, so it's not like there's big blowout score lines. Mm. But it's open field running. It goes end to end. It goes side to side. Mm-hmm. It's just constantly going the whole time. There's there's very little slowdown in it. And I look at it and going, that's how rugby league should be played. 120 years after it was born, it should be. This should be the the goal, the way it should be heading towards. Mm. But we got to that point, you know. 15 years ago where we look like we're getting there and then teams went, oh, it's going too fast, got to slow it down. And so, you you know, they they just mucked up the ruck everywhere just to slow the play, play down. And That's the it. women just play it the way I think it should be played at this day and age. And, you know, I think you've got to say too that the New Zealand women, they took rugby league and they just said, look, we're going to play it at this level. We're going to play it physically at this level. We're going to like beat you you're gonna to have to come to us to beat us mm. and i th- they really hardened the australian women's players up they because the australian women's players had to lift their game physically to that level and then they had to do extra on top of that to beat new zealand because new zealand was so good um and so like you know, you can't talk about where the women's game is right now without acknowledging the fact that it was New Zealand that took the game there. Um, and so to see them win tonight was fantastic because, and they really do need it. They need a second NRLW team like this year. Like, to just get them another team because... I'd, I'd like to see that next NRLW team to be one probably like North Queensland so you can get some of these... Papua New Guinean ladies playing because uh, oh. man, I think I think they would add they would they would bring extra excitement to the game. Some of the hits they do, my goodness, just bring straight in. I, yeah. I agree. Bring in a bring in a second New Zealand team and bring in a PNG team and look, bring in a another women's team from like I don't know, like do Melbourne or uh, like. I don't know, Newcastle or something. Perth. It can't be another Sydney team. Perth, like somewhere that's not Sydney. And, yeah, because 
I, and I, I don't know how they structure the women's season, whether they, because right now it's like about a month, right? And that's not, yeah. long but you can't have it too long and too many games in a row because it's, it's going to break down the women's players. And so I don't know what you do, how you sort that out, but there just needs to, we need to get all of these women playing in the NRLW. We just do because they're, they're ready. They showed it. Yeah. Uh, and I think if you start bringing in teams from other countries around the area, it's just going to make the women's game so much better internationally as well. And, you know, we've got the opportunity to, to do things correctly with the women's game. Mm. And, yeah, we don't need to have every NRL club having a women's team because then you're just going to have the same issues. You're going to have Sydney being flooded and, you know, not enough representation elsewhere. So... I like the fact they started with four teams. I, I kind of thought they should have started with six, but four, you know, at least they haven't haven't thinned out the playing the talent too too much. Mm-hmm. But I think now you could definitely expand it and, and make sure you're expanding it so you're including the New Zealand players and the Papua New Guinea players because they've got an entire nation of teams already. So you're not you're not reducing the talent pool in Australia. Yeah, exactly. exactly. You're bringing in two extra teams straight away, and it's just. It's just better for everyone. It, you know, it improves the Australian players playing against these international players each week. And it's good for the international game for all those three nations as well. It really is. And, and they're ready. They've yeah, shown it. absolutely. Um, a couple of things from the World Nines that I kind of thought about over the few days that it was on, uh, the two days it was on, that stood out for me. Um, are we ready to do this? Did we go through all the results? Um, yeah, we did all the men's results. Yeah, okay, okay. And we talked about the women's one. Um, so a couple of things that stood out for me. Number one, Josh Adokar is the fastest person I've ever seen in in person. Um, and it was more from what he was doing on that first day. And it was unnaturally fast. Like, you know, and I've been watching rugby league for a long time, but I've when I saw him, I think there was a kick through. No, it wasn't a kick. He just got the ball and ran with it. And it was on the first day. Um, and it was kind of shocking how fast he was. Um, it, it, I, you know, it comes through on TV, but once you've seen him at, in top flight, it, it really is. It's a shock because it's like your brain goes, oh, I've got to reset what humans can do. Um, so that's one thing that stood out for me. Another thing was, I wonder about the kickoff rules in nines because part of you wants to make sure the because it's so such a quick game and the scoring team kicks off after they've scored, I think maybe there needs to be a rule where the ball has to go 20 metres instead of 10. And I was thinking maybe if they had it so that there was a big circle on the field for, in the middle of the, the field so that the ball just has to go 20 metres from the kickoff point so that you could still kick it. Um, oh, I know, see. You, you yeah. understand what I mean? Almost yeah. like at the circle on a soccer pitch, but it's 20 metres. Yeah. Because so, so you can kick it sideways. It doesn't have to go 20 metres downfield. It can just go 20 metres across the field. Yeah, yeah. I, I just think there needs to be something because the short kicks that just dribble 10 metres, they're, they're effective. But I think it needs – you kind of want to make them have to kick long and hand possession over because we saw Australia play PNG and they just – suffocated PNG without giving them possession. And I think you want to get away from that in, in nines football. Um, because, and at, you know, nines football allows a lot of different ways to play the game and you don't want to suffocate any of those ways out. But I do think that you do need that switching of, of uh, possession of the ball. Um, otherwise you can get one sided game. So that was one thing that jumped out at me. Um, how poorly USA played was another. Um, Fiji, I think, expected just expected to do better than that. Then, and everyone else was just going to go out there and do their best. And I, I mm. feel as though Fiji sort of thought, well, this is going to be for us, and they were a bit relaxed about it. And I think that cost them. Um, so yeah, they're the main thing. Oh, the other thing was too, ha- having been on the Friday night. And it was fun, but it doesn't come close to the Saturday. It, sh- it needs to be Saturday, Sunday, and that should not be compromised for anything, including television, because the atmosphere 
during the whole day and it went into the night um, was uh, it was very very different it was almost like a carnival atmosphere compared to the nighttime one where it was like it really was just a a nighttime event it's odd too because on Friday they only played was it five games or six games or something yeah there wasn't many I, I missed the first one between I think it was Lebanon and France mm. um because there was quite a break between that game and the next game, so I missed that game. Um, but yeah, that the, you know, it wasn't too bad that there weren't too many games on. Um, but it it just needs to be on a weekend, because yeah. if it's on a weekend, like I could see where if you had it on the weekend, where you could almost have a morning session and an evening session. It say on the Saturday. You could have it, or not a morning session, but you know it kicks off at say eleven, and then it that goes through till say three, and then it kicks off again at six. You know, and maybe have stuff around the stadium to do or something like that. Um, because I, I didn't mind the short session on the Friday night. The Saturday was a little bit too long. I felt. Well, um, the, this is what I was going to get at: is the fact they played um, six. Men's games on on Friday, mm. and then just have this massively long schedule, which started mm. at what eleven or eleven thirty today or Saturday, and went through yeah. till nine. I mean, it's ten hours. Yeah, and I mean, I got there. I think at about two thirty, and I didn't realize the final was on so late. I thought the final would have been done and dusted by about to about eight o'clock, something like that. And when I saw that it was on a night clock, I was like, man. And to be to their credit, the organizers organizers managed to fill up the time with other things. I mean, obviously had the women's game on. They had uh Dragon played, which and Dragon were pretty good. They had a another uh local band called Soul of Salem, I think they were called, something like that. And they were pretty good too. Um but they need to condense it just a little bit. You know, the the time between finals was too much, I feel like. Yeah. I think um, what they what they could have done was have, as you said, Saturday and Sunday mm. and have have two rounds played on Saturday mm. and then have the final round and the finals on the Sunday. That way Sunday's not ending too late either. Mm-hmm. Knowing that people are going to school and back to work and stuff on Monday. Yeah. And that way you can still have a, a decent sized day on Saturday, but you you're not sort of flogging the players on Saturday by having all games about one on that day. Yeah, true. And I tell you, the other thing that was interesting is seeing how the crowd come and went depending on who was playing and uh, like when their teams were knocked out and stuff. Like I'm, I guess I'm a little bit weird in that I turn up for the footy, but I definitely saw people that were, as soon as their team was done, man, they picked up their stuff and left. Um, there were some of the women's games that people took an opportunity to go and, you know, get some refreshments and stuff like that. But for the most part, they stuck around for those ones. Um, there was a game on, let me try and think. I think it was Friday night, the last game. I can't remember who the last game was, but... Uh, Papua New Guinea and USA. They, there you go. For that last game... A lot of people left for that last game. Well, that's um, the thing too. It came after Australia just played New Zealand. Mm, yeah, and and once and people on the Friday night, people really, for the most part, had wanted to see that game, and then you could see it was like, well, the night's pretty much over. And it was funny because as they're wrapping that one up, and just after the game ended, you could hear the stadium announcer going, "And just a reminder, we've got one more game left, and it's coming <laughs> right up now." And uh, it was interesting to see how that worked, but yeah, I it was uh, the difference between the two days was different. I can't really tell you about the difference in crowds. They said there was twelve thousand on Friday and about fifteen on on today on Saturday, or not today anymore, but on Saturday there was fifteen thousand. Um, it felt like a bigger crowd to me on the Saturday, much bigger than that, like not bigger than fifteen thousand, but bigger than the Friday night crowd. <laughs> It's interesting because a lot of people thought watching it on TV that the Saturday crowd was actually less than 15,000. Oh, really? Yeah. And look, I, I, I was in a different – for the first day I was sitting down in the terrace and you really don't – because of the way the stadium is, it's hard to see the rest of the crowd because 
she's basically on top of the game action instead. Um, and then on the second day, I was up in the grandstand above the terrace, and you can't see the terrace when you're up in the grandstand, so I couldn't tell. But, yeah, from my point of view, it felt like there were more people there on the Saturday. Well, there you go. It's mm. uh, either way. Um, to get it sort of half full, it's, it's it probably, I don't know, to me it feels like they the, the, the organisers probably would have expected crowds of 20,000 plus for both mm-hmm. days. So to get 12 and 15 would, would feel like a bit of a, uh, not so much a failure, but, you know, it underperformed. And to some degree, you'd have to say that the, the ad- advertising for this was pretty average. Yeah, and we remarked about that leading into it, eh? Yeah, there was next to no coverage about it throughout Foxtel. And I dare say Channel 9 wouldn't have bothered too too much either. Um, so there was very little build-up to it, very little hype about it. And I think that's, that's a problem and something that needs to be addressed next time. Yeah, I feel as though it's maybe... Look, the whole... I loved it, right? It should be on every single year. It's fantastic. I wonder if maybe it's on at the wrong time because it's the first event after the NRL Grand Final. Yeah. And I think that maybe people are ready for test matches instead. Uh, um, and because we've got such a, a rude test schedule coming up, like it's great. We're going to see some bloody good test footy coming up over the next couple of months. Yeah. So let's that, be honest, rug, rugby league is making up for what Test Test Cricket in Australia is not going to bother doing this year. And oh, that is playing yeah. Test matches prior to, playing prior games. to December. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I feel as though maybe this would have played better if it was played maybe in December, which probably sounds really weird. Or if it was played in January, or like on Australia Day or something, I could see it getting massive crowds. Um. Well, I was going to say February probably would be good because it'll be just after the the big bash league is finished mm-hmm. and you're leading into the NRL season starting. Mm-hmm. Probably wouldn't be too bad then. Um, the only problem, I guess, is that for every country that's from the Northern Hemisphere would be absolutely dying because they'd be coming out of their winter and they'd be coming over here playing in 35-degree heat. Well, that's the thing, and it makes me wonder, like, Say you look at this as the Nines World Cup, okay? The next one doesn't necessarily have to be a World Cup. You could have one next year that was like the Southern Hemisphere Championship or something. Mm. And, and and then the Northern Hemisphere does the same thing where, you know, you you get all of the teams that are going to be used to the heat. Um, and, and you're also cutting down travel costs and accommodation costs and stuff like that. But it's definitely something that needs to be progressed with. And I'll tell you something, Nines football is so much more suited to international footy than club football, and it's not even close. Um, I don't really pay Nines when it's on because it's, you know, it's club teams. I Uh, wonder if this uh, Nines World Cup has mm. killed off the Auckland Nines. For me, it, it for me it has, it has because I I agree. Yeah, because I, and this comes back to something I've always talked about with international footy. I want to see how a bunch of dudes from Papua New Guinea play against a bunch of dudes from Australia. You know, I want to see how a bunch of palms go against a bunch of Samoans. Yeah, and that's what international footy is. And it was really cool to be like, man, I wonder how these Fijians going to go against a bunch of Tongans. You know. <laughs> Um, that's well, so for much me, it's more also, exciting. It's also seeing teams like France and Lebanon play and, and the likes. Mm. Um, as I said, and I've, I've had this feeling all along, though, is I still think they needed to have more teams in it. Could have yeah, just I, been a, another pool with, with four teams in it, but I just think a bit more would have been would have been nice. Definitely, definitely. Um, and I was feeling that too, especially with the... You know, the Group A thing where two teams go through from Group A, it just seemed a bit Mickey Mouse. Um, and, and, you know, it was kind of set up to mm. have Australia hopefully play New Zealand. Um, and, yeah, so I think that next time have four groups of four 
and that would also help it have two full days of competition. Um, you know, and there's plenty of teams that you could draw in for that. So absolutely, it's that's not a problem. So yeah, there's a few things there that I think they some of the things they did really well. I mean, first of all, that stadium. That's the first time I've really experienced it. Two full days just as a spectator. I'm I'm seriously considering getting Parramatta Eel season tickets. Um, I'm not even joking though. Like I'm seriously considering getting Parramatta Eel season tickets. Just you know they get how a lot of times they make those season tickets and they've got like one of the players from the team on there. Yeah. How are you going to feel about it when you get that season ticket and it's got Clint Gutherson on there and you've got to cart that around? You got to cart that around your wallet. I I love the Wentworth Phil Magpies. I love them. <laughs> it'd be great to have one of their better players on there. Let me tell it'd you. Be, well, the thing is, it'd be Clint Gutherson wearing his green and gold nine stripper. <laughs> he, he looked he looked out of place, didn't he? <laughs> he looked he looked like all of them nine players are sorry, are like, man, product of the Australian system, pretty good. Well, and then Gutherson would get the ball. It's like, oh man. <laughs> A bit slower, a bit, you know, smaller, not as physically dominant. It just, it, it was above him, I thought. Yeah, look, I didn't, I didn't mind him being in there. It's, uh, I, I think Nines is, is more his style, much like you said, as, as it is with Mitch Moses. Um, See, I disagree. I don't think Niles is, uh, Nines is Gutherson's style at all. I think that he hasn't got the pace and he doesn't, he doesn't ask questions at the line as not enough, and he doesn't have the the uh, threat that I feel as though you need as a nines player. You've got to ask a question of the defensive line, but also be a threat to break it as well. And that's something that Mitchell Moses is fantastic at. Yeah, you know, he, you're going to play games against the likes of USA and Wales, mm-hmm. and you're going to need to rest your star players for those games so they don't get burnt out. That's true. That's what your Gutherson's for. <laughs> you got this one. <laughs> um, now, look, when, you, when I look at the men's um, test world rankings, yes. there's, a, there's a few teams who were ranked higher than Cook Islands, mm-hmm. or several actually, um, who you could call upon to fill in some other groups. Mm-hmm. So here, here's the other teams who weren't in the World Nines that yes. are ranked higher than the Cook Islands. Okay. All right, so we've got... I'll try and do them in order as well. So let's see. Uh, okay. Ireland. That's actually Scotland. Ireland. Jamaica. Italy. Greece. Malta. Norway. Serbia. Hungary. Canada. Philippines. Poland. Nui. Czech Republic. Netherlands. Solomon Islands. Wow. First of all, I would fully expect the Cook Islands to annihilate most of those teams. Um, you know what? I think if I had to pick four teams, I'd pick Serbia. I'd pick Italy. Um, who else? Greece have been the... doing pretty good at the moment internationally, as has Jamaica. Yeah, see, I kind of want Greece there. I kind of want Jamaica there. Man, and there was another team I was just thinking of. Um, kind of want the Philippines there too, hey? They'd be pretty good to see. Yeah, because that's that's. Do you know? Do you know who qualifies as a Philippine player? Who? Payne Haas. What? Really? Yep. Didn't Matt? Isn't Matt Schrama? Is that his name? Yeah, Matt and Luke Schrama. Yeah, I think they qualify for them too, don't they? They do. They do. Yes. Yeah. They've yeah. also got a. They've also got a, a few other. I think Kevin Gordon's another one. Oh really? Mm-hmm. I've never seen a Filipino that looks like Payne Haas. I've got to say. There you go. They've also got a a former Melbourne Storm player who's. I think he's in his his mid to late thirties now. He still mm-hmm. plays for the Philippines. Uh, he didn't play too many games for the Storm, I don't think. Let me try and, I'm trying to remember his name now. I feel horrible. Because I've, I've spoken to him before on, on uh, Facebook and stuff. Oh, what a bastard. 
I've, I've, I've got a dose of the uh, the league freaks. Yeah, you only remember the important ones. Is that what you're saying? No, I'm saying I've got a shit memory. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Paul, Paul Sheedy. Oh, yeah, Paul Sheedy, yeah. yeah so he, he turns 39 in February. I tell but you what, I... He's still been playing for him. I reckon I could play nines for, for Ireland. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm you're serious. Gonna go, you're going to go play for Ireland, not England. Not England. Should I do a... Uh, I could do a... What's his name? Paddy Richards. Whereas, like, you know, he goes over to England and he's like, yep, I'm full on Irish now. I was always wanted to be Irish. <laughs> and then he comes back to Australia. It's like, no, nah, I'm just Paddy Richards again. <laughs> I like the fact he's going, top of the morning to you, mate. Yeah. There <laughs> <laughs> you go. You know, if somebody said, I will give you a million bucks to sing, like, even the, just hum the tune of the Irish National Anthem, I couldn't do it. <laughs> I'd just have to hum the, like, the tune for, like, remember the uh, Mrs. McGregor Margarine? And I know <laughs> that was Scottish, but that's as close as I could get. <laughs> I thought you were going to say the uh, theme tune for Father Ted. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> English English sitcom. Okay. okay. Or English Irish sitcom. Okay. Yeah. See, I, I I can represent Scotland. Oh, could you? Yeah. Man, you but... could play. You could play centres. <laughs> I could. Yeah. I could definitely play on the wing for England. Hey. You. Like... Are, I mean, I could almost play on the wing for England. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh, I was watching them, and I'm like. <sighs> There were so many times I'm watching them play on the wing, and I'm like, what's he doing? Like, there was this great play that Sam Tompkins put on, and he's, you know, he's stepping and weaving, and he's got the ball, he's showing it and going it, and then he passes to the winger, and the winger's not ready for it. And it's like, what the fuck were you waiting out there for? He ran over to you, and he fucking took the defense out of your way, and then he threw the ball, and you weren't ready for it. What were you waiting for? An invitation, maybe some semaphore flags to let them know that the ball was coming their way. The only thing the the English wingers know how to get is all the food. They need to stop eating. You're not supposed to be a 120 kilogram winger who's like five foot nine. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, not not too many um, wingers in world rugby or rugby league have been able to to pull off a, a long career with those dimensions. No, and, oh, man, I, I just can't. I'll say, I'll start ranting about it, and people, you know, they're fucking shit, though. Like, <laughs> I'm seriously, I'm watching it, and I'm like, how are these guys professional wingers? They've got no sense for the position. Well, it's more the fact that who else are they going to pick? Just go to, go to fucking Fiji, right? The plane lands... And you just go out in the airport and you say, if there are any dudes between the age of, and we know the poms are a bit, you know, sketchy about it. So 18, definitely, we need your <laughs> fucking licenses between the ages of 18 and 40. Any males, just get back on this plane and we're going to send you to England and you're going to stand out in the edges of some football games and just do what you do. You know, that's all they've got to do. And then they can say, oh, we've got the best wingers of the world because they're scoring 75 tries. Yeah, it's because they're fucking marked by a pommy wingers. That's why. Oh, man. So you reckon they could just go find some more Leslie Vanacolos? Ah, oh, anyone. <laughs> fucking anyone. Seriously, if you're a shit winger and you're in Australia and you're in the lower grades, go to England. You'll score 500 tries. Walk in the park. Oh, it really will be. They're clueless. So, uh, how, how would you rate the uh, the nines as a, as a concept? If the nines are a 10 out of 10, um, or a nine out of nine, nine out of nine, yeah, let's do Classic. it that way. But out of nine, the nines are definitely a nine. Um, I think they need to condense the schedule a little bit, a bit play it on a Saturday and Sunday instead. Um, add more teams to it, and outside of that, I'd be pretty happy with that. Oh, and they need to sort out something to do with making teams kick off longer because uh, you need that switch of possession. 
to stop blowouts. Yes. Um, and do you remember how we ranked the teams? Yeah. I think got, the, got oh, you've got it there. Because see, yeah. I, was, I thought it would be a good idea to see how how we went with our guesstimations. I know I know we ballsed up Fiji hard. But other than yeah. that, I'm thinking we went fairly well with the predicting how you know how the sides would rank. I feel as though Australia and New Zealand were a kind and probably Samoa were a cut above everyone else. And then there was a big block of similar teams that could beat each other just in any certain, for whatever reason. And then you had a couple of real bad teams. So the way that we ranked them, before the tournament, going on nothing at all, just our big, giant, expert brains. Um, We had Australia first, New Zealand second. We had Fiji third, which is, got that really wrong. We had Tonga fourth. Mm. We had Samoa fifth, which is a little low. We had England sixth. We had PNG seventh. We had France eighth. We had the Cook Islands ninth. We had the USA in tenth, Lebanon in eleventh, and Wales in twelfth. So if you, we were going, you, I was going to say USA and Fiji are probably the only ones we've got largely badly out of whack. I and USA is only two positions too too high. Yeah. Outside of that, I mean, because it's hard to line up because they're in different conferences. So I would like to have seen. PNG play England, I think that would that would square up a lot of these ratings. And I would like to see, like, say, the Cook Islands play England and PNG. And I think if we could have seen that, it would really we'd be able to give really clear cut definition of where everyone stands. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I think I mean how because New Ze- Australia is obviously first, and New New Zealand. I mean, it's fair to say second. Yeah, they made the final. Exactly. I think the next best team was most definitely Samoa. Yeah. After be, that... Well, it'd have to be Samoa and England because, I mean, they made the finals, didn't they? But would you say England would be better than PNG and the Cook Islands and Tonga? Because that, that Group B wasn't... It was the weakest one by quite some way. It, it was. Um. Yeah, it's, uh, I I I kind of think that you, you have to go with England because the, they just made the semi-finals, so it just seems like you you have to put them there. But, it, but it's got, hard. It's hard got to beat by Lebanon, man. Yeah. Lebanon, and not even Lebanon's a good team. It's like I I've never heard of any of them Lebanese players, and I'm an expert. <laughs> I've heard of a few of them. I mean, they had the Robinson brothers there, Travis and Reese, and Mar Barney's played a ton of footy for for Lebanon, all over the place. But it's um, fucking Lebanon, man. Yeah. Come on, let's fuck fuck England over. Let's do. This. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I just I find it hard to I find it really hard to separate. Like I think, I think I would have Tongan personally for me. I'd have Tonga next, and then after that, I'd probably have Fiji, the Cook Islands, and then from there I'd go down. Oh, the PNG man! I, I can't put Fiji ahead of England. Fiji, Fiji would just die. They should have been better. They were just die. They were very bad, weren't they? And England were for me. I think yeah. England were better than both both of what we expected. Because I remember we looked at their squad and thought, mm-hmm. that just looks like a mishmash of whatever the hell they could scrape together. And we had pretty low expectations of them. Like we were fairly confident that they were going to do well in their group. Mm. But I think they did a little bit better than I would have given them credit for. I I honestly felt like England hit the exact marker that we picked and that was sixth place, middle of the table. I I sit like watching them play and, and we can disagree on that. This this is that's fine. But <laughs> uh, like just watching them play, 
I can't put Fiji above them, though. They were, they were so they were average as fuck. I'm willing to not put so Fiji above Australia, them. New Zealand, Samoa, definitely top three. Yep. Um... Oh, oh, man. Like, okay, this isn't about me. You want to put England fourth, let's put England fourth. Yeah? I'm just having a quick look. Yeah, look, I don't mind putting PNG above them. Okay, PNG fourth. England fifth. Yeah. And then Tonga sixth. France. Fra- France ahead of the Cook Islands. Um, I don't know. See, I think I think the Cook Islands, France, Lebanon are all sort of around the same mark. Yeah, they and that's yeah. Like it would be easier to do these as like blocks. Mm. You know, like I think Australia would be on a block on as a design, then probably New Zealand and Samoa would be a block, and then you'd have a big block of teams after them. Yeah, and then you'd have the last block of teams, which would just be USA and Wales. <laughs> USA and Wales, yeah. <laughs> The rest is just in the middle. I'd, so, yeah, look, I think that our predictions, I think there's only two teams there that are a bit out of whack, and one of them is Fiji by a long way. Yep. And the USA by two spots. I think the rest are kind of pretty close to where we thought they'd be. Yeah, yeah, it's not too far out. I agree with you. I agree with you completely. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, that just confirms just how brilliant we are. We've got 10 out of 12 pretty much spot on. I mean, that's pretty you know- damn good. You know what, Andrew? You're really good at this, eh? Hey? Oh, there you go. You're, like, you're, you're not too shabby yourself, mate. Thank, well, thank you. Thank you. Like, some people think this is all a science, but it's also art, and I think that we're good at both of those things. Oh, yeah. Scientific artists. Yeah, definitely. Using both sides of our brain, both hem- hemispheres. That's right. Mm. We are that good. Right. Um, so thanks for tuning in, everyone to another great episode of Fergo and the Freak. Remember, you can check us out on Twitter at Fergo Freak Pod. Um, you can send us a, a, any questions or um, yeah, suggestions like that to our email, podcast at leaguefreak.com. Mm-hmm. And I guess we'll catch us all later. Yeah. Remember to vote.